We give you glory, Lord. And we thank you today. We thank you for sending your spirit, Lord, to lead us and guide us into all truth. To direct us, Lord, into your will and your plan for our lives. Lord, that's what you want. You want sons and daughters that are led by your Holy Spirit. And not their own ideas, their own striving for vain glory or anything like that. You want us to hear what you want and then to do it. Lord, I pray you make that more and more real to us every day. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Hallelujah. Good to have everybody here. We're missing a whole section here. Where is everybody? Good grief. I mean, I guess Thanksgiving and football games. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Well, everybody got their Bibles this morning. Let's turn first. I want to turn to Matthew chapter 20 this morning because I feel the Lord wants me to share this. But first, as you turn there and get ready, I think we're just going to call this the 11th hour. The 11th hour. Because I, I received an interesting Facebook message um, Messenger, I guess you'd call it. I don't know. Some call it email, but I received an interesting. I'm not going to give the 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 fella's name, um, but I think it's important to share part of what he's saying here. And let me just read some of this to you, um, because the Lord just keeps laying this on my heart that this is more than just this person. So this was November 9th when he sent this to me. And he said, and this is a brother that's been watching for a while. And he says, I just finished watching your sermon from this past Sunday, Pastor Dean. And it was tailor-made for me by our Lord Jesus Christ, who is God who came in the flesh, sent from the heart of our Heavenly Father, delivered by the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. He said, I don't fully understand all of this, but he goes on to say, I know it's all real. He said, if, if, if they get, yeah, if they get like, you know, we've got a place downstairs where you can go and it's, you can still hear the sermon if you need to do that. I'm sorry, y'all. We don't have a children's church thing, so. All right. All right, let's keep on. Let's read this here. He says, um, "He says I seriously started following Jesus back in 1991. In 1992, God sent a legitimate prophet to our small non-denominational church, which at the time was uh, the spitting image of fire and grace. And he gave me a word from the Lord that went past, present, and future. It defined my purpose and what God wanted me to do. I wanted to do in me and through me." and the conditions of bringing that word to pass. However, I backslid shortly thereafter. He said, I needed deliverance big time, but we mostly only did that with new converts, and by then I learned how to justify my sin and rebellion and blend in real well. It wasn't until I was turned on to you by my older brother, who's a friend of your ministry, and uh, actually really started trying again to live holy and walk in the Holy Spirit again. 
I saw a post he shared about flat earth and called him that night to ask if he really believed the earth was flat. And he said, absolutely. And started quoting verse after verse after verse. I had to watch your sermons on YouTube to see for myself. Then I became convinced and started sharing that truth with others. He said, what I'm wondering, Pastor Dean, is can someone either give that calling back to God or disqualify themselves from fulfilling that calling? Because I may not be able to do now everything he wanted me to do, but I still want to do something. I want to be able to give the Lord some kind of return on his investment into me before he comes back. I've lived too much of my life as a wicked and lazy servant. This thought came to me after hearing your sermon, and then he said, I'm submitting it to you for your judgment. And so his, his basic question there was, is it too late for me? I, I know God called me. God gave me a specific word. And that actually, I think the Sunday I shared the prophetic words over my life, a couple of them, that one from 1989 and one from 2020. And so he was asking that. And I'm going to read you my answer that I gave him. And, um, and this is where we're going to go today. I said, I praise God that you were touched and encouraged by the message Sunday. I said, I could feel his presence in a strong way as the service went on. Brother, don't worry about the past. The Lord knew about the backsliding and the delay before it happened. He has already factored that in to his plan for you. Just go all in for him and he will guide you. I said, I thought of this passage for you. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, you can put that up if you want to. This is actually one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says this, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing, and now it shall spring forth, and shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And what's interesting is in the context before this, he's t talking about the Red Sea opening. And he's talking about, I'll make a way where there seems to be no way. And literally, God had moved them into a place where there was a mountain on this side and a mountain on this side and a sea in front of them and an enemy behind them. There was nowhere to go. And apart from a miracle, they weren't getting anywhere. So when he's talking about that, he's talking about this right here, that God can make a way where there is no way and do a new thing in your life. And then I went on in the parable Jesus told about the 11th hour workers, and I sent him some of those verses. So we're going to read that. We're going to go to Matthew 20 and read this, because some of you are still standing idle in the marketplace. It's time to get busy for the Lord. Amen? And the good news is that you can. And if I were you, I wouldn't waste any more time getting busy about following him, about seeking him about hearing from him. The wonderful thing about God Almighty, our Lord and Savior, is that he is merciful and forgiving and can take you from where you just messed up the whole thing for a long time. And he can restore you. You may have missed some things that you could have done, but it doesn't mean that your future's done. You understand? Because, you know, I, I'll, I'll share this too beforehand. You know, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the, when the Jews were released from captivity in Babylon, they were to go back and to rebuild the temple first. 
Remember? Lay the foundation of the temple, build the temple. That was the whole purpose. Cyrus, king of Persia, provided everything they needed to go do that, right? But they got back to the land. Well, they got busy building their own houses first, right? They got busy doing their own thing, trying to, you know, enemies were around them that hindered things and made things difficult. But how many of you know God's not really concerned about your stuff and your enemies? He's concerned about you doing his will. Well, guess what? They disobeyed for 16 years and didn't lay the foundation of the temple and didn't start the rebuilding process. And that's what the book of Haggai is about. He said, you, you know, you don't understand why you're not being blessed and why things are bad for you and why you, you put your money in a bag with holes and all of this stuff, why you're not blessed. He said, I'm going to tell you because you build your houses while my house lies waste. Now, what's wild is when they obeyed, they heard the words of Haggai the prophet, Zechariah the prophet, and they, they, got, they said, it's time to build. It's time to do, basically, it's time to do God's will first and put your stuff second. And once they obeyed that, God said, from this day forth, you look at the Haggai 2, he said, from this day forth, I'm going to bless you. Now, get this. What's very interesting is the book of Daniel says that when they laid the foundation of the temple, there was going to be, what, 49 weeks till the Messiah would come and be cut off. Now, those are weeks of years. So get this. Exactly when they did it, though. So what does that mean? What am I trying to tell you? Is that the Lord knew they were going to disobey for 16 years and factored that into the equation. So when they finally obeyed, it was still right on time with his prophecy in Daniel when the Messiah would come to be cut off for their sins. See, God knows our screw-ups before we do them. He knows our failures. He knows our struggles, our pain, our backsliding, our rebellion. He knows all about it. The good news is you can be forgiven and pick up and move on with him, go all in with him, and he's still going to do great things in your life, and he's still going to be able to fulfill at least part of his plan and destiny in your life because he already factored it in. The only problem is you will never fulfill your destiny and his plan for your life if you don't ever go all in with him. If you constantly focus on your own Life, your own desires, your own material wants, your own relationship wants, your own sexual desires, whatever it is. You keep focusing on you and not him. You are not going to be blessed and you're not going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. See, this is something last night, too, as I was studying and reading. There was a book I just picked up off the shelf. And I'm not going to say the name of the book yet because I got to read it before I endorse it. But I read a couple of stories in it, and it was interesting because they were Christians testifying that had died, and what they experienced going to heaven, and then the Lord saying, not time for you, and come back. But he, several of them expressed the same thing, was that once you get there, you begin to realize, what, 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 was my, what part of my life was not about me? What did I really do for the Lord? That was not about me being seen, about me being looked at, about me getting the glory for it. Well, you read some of that, you start thinking. Because this one person started talking about stuff they did in the ministry and blah, 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 blah. And the Lord said to them, you did that so you'd be seen. 
You did that so you would be glorified, not me. Oh, a lot of stuff done in the ministry is about people wanting to be seen. Let me tell you how you cure that. You want to know how you cure that? You don't do anything in the ministry the Holy Spirit doesn't tell you to do. This is the problem in the church world. We got a lot of folks, they weren't sent, they just went. Right? And they say, oh, I'm doing the work for God. I'm doing this and that for God. Look at me, look at me, look at me. No, that ain't what it's about. Now, sometimes doing the will of God and the plan of God will put you in the public's eye. Let me just promise some of you who want that, it ain't all it's cracked up to be. Why do you think a lot of these people who get famous want to go hiding? Some of them even fake their own death so they don't have to be famous anymore. Why do you think that is? See, in the church world, we're supposed to do these things as much as possible, as much as lieth in us. Not to be seen of men. Remember the Pharisees, everything they did, they wanted to be seen of men. They wanted to be praised of men. And the Lord was like, you know what? They have their reward. Folks, if you can't do it in secret, or if you can not get credit for it, folks, let me tell you, people are stealing my research and my PowerPoint slides and my messages and, and putting it out like it's their own. Even using my slides. But you know what? The truth's getting out there. I'm not suing anybody for plagiarism or copyright infringement. The truth's getting out there. But you see, this is what I'm talking about. We, we as Christians, how many times did Jesus, he would heal somebody and say, you don't go tell anybody. Just go do what you're supposed to do. Don't tell anybody. Why did Jesus do that? Because he knew that if they went and told everybody, the crowds would be overwhelming. And at one point, they even decided to come and take him by force to make him king. And he went and hid. How many of us would have went and hid? Oh, I get to be king now. You get what I'm saying? But what did Jesus know? It ain't time for me to be king. There's a time for that. Oh, God, if I could ever get across something to Christians, even Christians who are trying to hear from the Lord and be led by the Holy Spirit, just because you hear something to do doesn't mean it's time to do it. One of the biggest mistakes you can make is to hear something from God and then decide when you decide when it's time to do it. And sometimes you'll jump out way too soon. And can I just say this? Patience is a virtue. Patience. It's better to wait before you speak. You don't always have to act. I want to get this across some of you young believers. You don't always have to jump in the fight. Sometimes you wait before you fight. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just sit back and examine what the enemy's doing. Remember, remember what it was the Lord teaching David at the mulberry trees. What was he teaching him about that? Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until my spirit moves. Nothing. See, this is a beautiful thing. It's, it's almost it's this principle of Jesus. Like he told them, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. 
Wait until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are working through your life. Don't do anything. Think about it. He trained them three and a half years. And then he tells them, don't do anything. Go here and wait. Man, how many of us like to hear that? Wait. You just need to go wait on the Lord. No, some of us want to jump out ahead of him. Now, again, there's others who are idle, though, and just sitting back doing nothing. They're just being wicked. See, one of the most wicked things, I'll tell you this right now, one of the most wicked things in the kingdom of God is a lazy servant. And that's the ones that know they should be doing something and sitting back doing nothing. Or, again, indulging their own desires, their own plans, building their own house, satisfying their own flesh over and over again, and not doing what God wants you to do. You know, I think about Epaphras and some of these others where he was nigh, he was nigh unto death. He says, sick nigh unto death for the work of the ministry. So God doesn't want you jumping out too soon on anything, but he doesn't want you doing nothing unless he tells you to do nothing. And I will promise you this, if you wait on him, and you're praying, and you're fasting, and you're repenting of your sins, and you're saying, Lord, fill me, Lord, use me, I want your will in my life, I promise you, he will reveal it to you. And then after that, you say, okay, when do I do this? And you wait until he shows you when, and how, and where. Let's read this parable here of the laborers, 11th. Verse 1 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. And again he went out about the sixth hour the sixth and ninth hour, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle. And he said unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? And they said unto him, uh, Because no man hath hired us. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that uh, shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. Now, isn't that interesting? He starts out with the people who work the least amount of time. And when they came, they were hired about the 11th hour. They received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that as thine and go thy way. I will give unto this last even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first last, for many be called but few chosen. Now I'm going to stop on that right there. Now listen. I believe, too, that these last people who jump in here, I believe why they're going to get the same reward as those that have been doing it for a long, long time 
is because we're in the last of the last days, the last hour is going to be the most difficult. I mean, we really, it's already begun. We are hit from every side constantly, bombarded, whether it was a lab-generated virus, a jibbity jab to you-know-what, stuff to cause heart attacks and strokes, constant pressure to give in to the LGBTQABCDEFG crowd. Sit back, watch them try to turn our children into trans individuals. It's only going to get darker and more difficult in this. I, I like what we say it's the 11th hour because that means it's not quite 12 yet. We still got an hour left. It means we got a little time left. But he said there are going to be these who are idle that come in. And that's, that's, that should encourage you. If you've been dragging your feet, if you've been idle, if you've been indulging your own ways, if you haven't really been seeking the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, if you haven't been fasting, if you haven't really finally just said, Lord, I'm surrendering to your will. See, back in 1987, I had my own plans, brother. I had a, a list of my own plans. And I remember when the Lord got a hold of me, I knew immediately by the Holy Spirit, all that was over with. I don't know why most Christians don't get that understanding when they come into the kingdom of God. Certainly churches don't preach it anymore. But you are not your own anymore. You are bought with a price. Why do you think Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, you do not the things that I say? Doesn't that describe American Christianity? Oh, Jesus is my Lord, but they don't do a thing he says to do. They don't get to know him. They don't get to hear his voice. They don't obey the, the written word, and they certainly don't hear what he has for them to do. This is important. Go with me to, go to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1 there. Read a little bit. It's okay to read the Bible in church, isn't it? Amen. All right. Get those definitions ready, the high calling here. We're going to look at this. real. But let's re read from verse 1. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And he says no confidence in the flesh. That means your own abilities. He says, he goes on, so he said, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he may trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. 
Notice he's talking about, too, trying to keep the law. He said he was blameless. He kept the law. Well, not fully, we know. But look what he says, verse 7. This auto is going to make a Torah head spin around. He said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Do you notice he included his righteousness that came by the law, right? He says, yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the mark. So Paul is saying here, I'm, I, I'm setting aside all religion, all thinking I'm going to gain righteousness through the law, the old covenant law, cast all that aside because I want to know Jesus. I want to know him intimately. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I'm willing to be with him in the fellowship of his sufferings, meaning I'll go through whatever I got to go through. But then he says this, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. What does that high calling? I looked it up last night. It's very interesting. We just read through stuff sometimes, and we don't look up these words, but here's what this word is. Let's... All right, and I, I'm not sure if you pronounce it ano or something like that, but notice the outline of the biblical usage here. It means up, upwards, above, high, the quarters of the quarters of heaven, northward, and uh, as I say down here, um, the Jerusalem, which is above, above a higher place, again, heavenly things, the heavenly Jerusalem. Notice this one right here, the calling made in heaven. See, sometimes it's very important you look up these words. Uh, in fact, it's the same word used. If you look up the word, this is John 8, 23, when Jesus said to them, and he's rebuking the Pharisees, he said, you are from beneath and I am from above. When he says that word above, he's talking about this. I am from the high place, the heaven place. So what he's saying here is you want to talk about the high calling, the heavenly calling. He says what Paul was saying. He said, I cast all this stuff aside, all this religious stuff, all me wanting to be somebody. He said, I don't count myself to have apprehended anything to have or, or become perfect by any means. He said, I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the heavenly calling. What God wants, not what I want. Man, even see a lot of people think even if they want stuff in the ministry, they think because they, they want ministry that that's a good thing. It may not be. Let me tell you, the more I get sometimes, the more I don't want. 
And it's not because I want to be rebellious or something, but really it's like the responsibility can be overwhelming. It can be quite crushing. That's why he says those who are teachers are going to receive the greater condemnation. We have a greater responsibility upon us. And I tremble sometimes thinking that I am responsible for everything I say. And you think, oh, it's great. More and more people are going to hear the word from you. Yeah, and I'm responsible then for more and more people. And I'm going to give account to God for what I said. Did I teach his word? Did I, and not did, just did I teach the word of God and sound doctrine, but did I teach exactly what he wanted me to teach at that moment, that time, that place? Did I do his will? Did I speak his word for that moment, for that time? And the only way you can do that is to hear from the Holy Spirit. Man, I could get up here and give you 500 sermons. I can preach on anything. It's not what, what I know or what I can preach on. It's what does God want me to say right now, today, this morning. And when you live under that responsibility, at times it can be quite overwhelming. So be careful what you wish for. Some of you think you could stand up in front of thousands of people and preach. Do you really want that responsibility? Do you think you're even ready for that responsibility? But if the Holy Spirit moves on you and says, it's time, step up. I'm open the door. Here it is. You're going to speak to. Guess what? Then he's determined that you're ready. But Lord, don't want it. You understand? When I was a young man, I was deceived. I thought I wanted it. I remember going to the Brownsville Revival saying, man, this would be awesome. I had no idea. It's, it's one thing to sit in the pew or the chair or, or watch online and think, oh, I could do that. I'd love to do that. I'd love to be up there and preaching on that platform or that church or that conference or this thing. Oh, I could do that. Really? Let me tell you, you step up there and you're not supposed to be up there. It's not time. The devil's going to tear you up from one side to the other. What I want to do, what you should always say, what I want to do is hear. I told y'all a long time ago, back in uh, 90, 94 it was, I was a young man. God kind of opened the door for me to start working with a well-known international ministry. I'm not going to name their names. And they were going to start a Bible school at, uh, what's the place in Virginia? Pat Robertson's place. What's it called? Um, CBM was going to give them like facilities and an area to do a Bible school. And here I am in my 20s going to be leading this Bible school. And so I go to Virginia Beach. We all meeting, talking. Oh, I'm going to be the I'm going to be the right hand man to the head honcho. And at 20, whatever I was then. Six, seven, traveling around on private jets with the big dogs. And I remember I went to Virginia. And I remember the whole time in the spirit, I'm just grieved. 
The Holy Spirit's just grieved. Now, you ought to understand, I could have been speaking at conferences with thousands and thousands of people and making six figures in my 20s with the religious famous crowd. And the Holy Spirit said, you will not do this. I remember when I, was, I got in the car to drive back home from Virginia, and the Lord said, you will not move here. You will not do this. No, no, no. And so you know what I did? I drove back home. I said, yeah, okay, Lord. Yes, Lord. And I guess, I, you know, I had, to, I had to make a living, so I started painting houses. That's when I started refinishing tubs and sinks and countertops and showers and all that stuff and remodeling houses. And you know what I'm doing while I'm painting houses? Just praying, God, I'm, whatever you want. Whatever you want. I had no idea. I, was, I didn't know. Knew he called me to preach, and here I am painting houses. Here I am walking away from possibly being booked at conference after conference after conference after conference. How many young preachers would walk away from that? You see? But I knew. I knew you don't. Every open door is not something you walk through unless the Holy Spirit says to walk through it. And so after like six months of painting houses, the Lord speaks to me and says, I want you to start a church in Montgomery, Alabama. This is a summer now. We're in this, getting into the spring, summer of 1995. And it was that church, starting that church, that began to train me how to be a pastor, how to be a teacher, how to have the responsibility. And God just gave me a little bit at a time. And I look back now and I can see that if God would have given me what I thought I could handle, I would have never been able to handle it. Plus, the Lord knew the chaos that was going to come into my life seven years later, that I didn't need to have the responsibility of thousands or tens of thousands or even beyond that. I didn't need that. I even now pray... I say, Lord, thank you for not giving me what I wanted when I was a young preacher. Because success in the ministry, when it's not of God, oh, see, is probably the most dangerous thing there is. Especially when you think it's God and he's not in it at all. Ooh, that's just scary to me. Because you know what that is? That's a house built on the sand right there. And all there has to be is a little storm come, and it just blows it all away. No, I don't want any of that. Now, I want to keep reading some of this here. Let me go back and read this again a little bit. Verse 14, where he said, I pressed toward the mark. For the prize of the high calling, the heavenly calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said, let us therefore as many as be perfect. That means to be mature in Christ, not without sin or without blemish. He says, but as many as I be mature, be thus minded. 
And if anything be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto uh, we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same things. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. What does that mean? Their own desires. Their God has become their own desires, their own plans. Whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now, what I love, he, he tells us, he said, when he said in verse 16, he said, for many walk. What he's talking about, many are walking in this Christian thing here. But they have become enemies of the cross. What is, cause what is, the, what is the cross he's talking about? The cross is when you're willing to take up your cross, meaning it's going to be difficult. There's going to be suffering. But what was the cross for Jesus? It was the perfect will of God, the perfect plan. Didn't look like it on the outside. Didn't look like it to the flesh. Remember Peter said, Lord, no, 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 no. This is not going to happen to you. You're not going to be beaten and spit upon and be died. No, uh uh-uh. And what did the Lord say? Get behind me, Satan. You savor the things that are of men, not the things that are of God. See, the things that are of God, sometimes they don't make sense. Sometimes it even seems like that, that he's sending us in the opposite direction. I think about, you know, when Philip went down to Samaria and started preaching, the Holy Spirit led him there, and great revival broke out. Souls got saved, and people were getting saved left and right. Great miracles were happening. It was a revival. Philip the evangelist leading a revival, and then the Holy Spirit comes and says, leave Time to go down to Gaza. He don't know why. Leave a revival to go into the desert, to the land of the Philistines. Why? Because God had one man he wanted him to meet, that Ethiopian eunuch. And he led him to the Lord. And what we know now by history is that man went back and led a bunch of people to Jesus. Started a revival in Africa. But see, God's plan sometimes is leave the crowd. Don't go by what you see. Don't go by the outward appearance of things. Go by what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. I remember one time I was preaching before I started the church there in Montgomery. The Lord had me leading the singles ministry at a very large Assembly of God church in in Montgomery. And I remember I was leading all night. The, The pastor had left. So they were without a pastor. So God just opened the door. I was leading the prayer meetings. I was leading the evangelism. I was preaching every Sunday morning to about 70 to 80 singles. That, that was my Sunday school class. This church is about 2,000 members, something like that, right? So I was preaching on Wednesday nights, and then they'd bring in some other AG guy to preach because I wasn't AG. I just, you know, how I, how I was there, I don't know. I mean, I, we... I tolerated their nonsense for a while, as long as I could. I just obeying God. But what was interesting was God was moving. People were getting saved. People were getting healed. People were getting delivered from demons. 
we were going down the street uh, on a weekend. We do it every other weekend, have an all-night prayer meeting on Friday, go out on the streets witnessing. On Saturday, we were seeing people get saved at the malls and the projects just on the street corners. We're just seeing leading people to Jesus, right? And all this is going on, and the Lord speaks to me about six months into this and says, sit down, stop. And he told me, he said, they're looking at you instead of looking at me. So I said, I went and told him, I said, well, I'm, I'm not going to be doing this anymore. The Lord told me to sit down. Now, what was amazing, everybody loved me. Though we had this huge group this, in this big church and everybody just loved me. Oh, pa- uh, well, they didn't call me Pastor Dean back then. But they said, Dean hears from the Lord, man. He teaches the word, man. The anointing's there. Man, we're going out on the streets and witnessing. And it's funny how I heard from God as long as I was doing what they wanted me to do. But the moment I said, no, the Lord told me to sit down. Oh, he's not hearing from God about that. And I literally sat down. I went and sat in the back and said, y'all take it now. Y'all do it. And the Lord was like, again, they didn't know. They, they looked like somebody just took their birthday presents away. And, and I said, but see, what were they doing? They were depending on me to do it, and they need to be do, learning to do it. They needed to be praying. They needed to be figuring out what God wanted them to do. And that's another thing. See, if we don't do this, if we don't start figuring out who we are and what the will of God is for us, when somebody gets taken out, who's stepping up? That's why Jesus had 12. He knew Judas was going to go. He knew Herod was going to kill James. He knew they would be under assault. But that's why he had 12 of them. Because I'm gonna, he's, he's like, I'm going to train these guys so that devil takes out one, takes out two, takes out three. We got some folks to step up. See, a lot of people don't want to be the second string quarterback, y'all. Nobody wants to be the second string quarterback. But guess what? The second string quarterback is one play away. One injury away, one moment away from being the starting quarterback. And I played quarterback. Why do we worry about it? I think about, you know, we watched The Blind the other day, uh, that story about Phil Robertson. It's so funny. The man, was such, the man was such a good quarterback in college that Terry Bradshaw, who won four Super Bowls with the Pittsburgh Steelers was second string to him. But he began to know deep down football wasn't what, what God wanted for his life. He just knew it. He's like, I'm done with football. And it was God moving him away from that because he's going to move him into what he was supposed to do with his life. And old Terry Bradshaw becomes the starting quarterback finally and there you know what happens from there on. One of the greatest of all time. But Phil Robertson could have been Terry Bradshaw in the NFL wanted him. But he walked away from it. So sometimes you have to be second string and you just got to wait till it's your time. 
That's this hard thing about waiting. God, God, what do you want me to do? What if he says, sit down? What if he says, wait? What if he says, you know what? I need a season where it's just me and you. What if it, and what if that's years? Some of you think you should be in the pulpit and the Lord said, no, you should be with me. Do you know where I was for years before I was preaching? Before God had me preaching regular? For years. I was in a little prayer house fasting for weeks at a time, studying my Bible every day and every night. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes I think we forget that the preparation time period is, is more important than the time he puts you up to do what you're supposed to do. And some of us set ourselves back because, again, we get we, 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 we start striving and want to put, push ourselves forward. Oh, gosh. I remember one time I did that. And it was when the Lord told me, you're going to start a church. It's going to be Fire and Grace Church. He had spoken to me. 2004. And again, I assumed, oh, it's time to get busy. And I remember having the first service and just feeling the death of God, like he had nowhere around. And I was like, well, I guess I totally missed when we were supposed to do this. So I told, I had advertised, I had, I had some people, I just told them, I said, it's not time for this. We're not doing this. I'm not doing this. And it wasn't. It needed to be four years later. And then, boy, the, let me tell you, y'all, the first few years of this church, hoo-hoo-wee, it was a struggle. My wife and I wanted to run away many times, Just go to Mexico or something, <laughs> move to the Bahamas, I don't know, go somewhere, away from here. As David said, oh, that I had wings of a dove that I could fly away from this stuff. Yeah. But I knew the Lord said do it. And that's what I'm saying. You know, even Skyfall Conference, y'all, we don't do those just to do them. What do we do every year? People ask me, I've been at, people have been asking, are we having Skyfall this year? I said, I don't know yet. Because we pray about it. We don't just say, oh, we're going to have a conference every year. Because the Lord may not want one this year. And that's what I'm saying. You should pray about everything. You should seek the Lord's will about everything. That's what he's talking about. Press toward the mark for the prize of the heavenly calling. And what is the prize of the heavenly calling? Is when you do God's will, sometimes, and let me tell you, okay, like this thing coming up, this this thing coming up in a week at Greg Locke's church, this thing is turned into something beyond what I could even imagine it was going to be when it started, okay? But I look back and go, if I hadn't obeyed the Lord to step out and preach the truth of creation, 
If I hadn't obeyed him in 2019 and written the 479-page book, if I hadn't spent the hours and hours and hours of study and research that he led me to do, which was a lot of time away from my family and in my room just digging and studying and reading and working. But if I hadn't have done those things, I would not be ready for December 2nd. You understand? Again, we think we're ready for things. But they don't send our guys to war until they've been through boot camp, training, preparation. And the, the more dangerous and severe the mission, the longer the training has to be. You're trained on a weapon system, that's going to take a while. I mean, I've interviewed Navy missile instructors. I, I marvel at some of these things that these people have to learn. How to learn how to fly an F-16 or an F-22 or an F-35. You know how much training goes into that? They don't just hop into those things and take off. Here's the thing. You know, I, I went to Israel in 1988, young man. I was 21 2021, and my brother and I ended up in this, uh, we stayed in different, we traveled all over the country for over a month, we went to different youth hostels, we stayed, but we knew some people had given us some contacts in the country, so this one guy that had been in Israel since uh, 48, he, older guy, uh, Jewish guy, had an apartment right in Jerusalem on the fifth floor of this high-rise and so for the first two weeks we were there, we stayed in Jerusalem, and we stayed in this apartment. And this apartment was like a, had a common area, the kitchen and all that, living room, everything. And then he had just broken it up where different people could stay in the, like three different rooms. But it just happened to me, my brother and I were there, and a guy, an older guy, pastor from England, British guy, had his tea at three every day. And um, his wife was an archaeologist, and she had passed away, and he was... He was there on some kind of business about her book and her work there, and he sh I, he gave me her book. I mean, very interesting folks. But one of the things, I know the Holy Spirit, one day he came out of his room to have his tea, and we happened to be there, and he said, can we, can we sit down and just, can I share something from the Bible with you guys? I said, we said, sure. And here's this old guy. He had to be in his 80s. And he basically, he opened up the, the last chapters of John, and he talked about the, the John and um, Peter and how the Lord was talking about he was going to do different things with them, which I think he's speaking sp directly to me and my brother how different we were going to be, Lord, and we are, um, and how different directions we were going to go. But I'll never forget this man. He said this to us. He looked at us, and he knew. It's like he knew that the call of God was upon us as young men to reach the world. And I knew from the Lord, you know, the Lord had already appeared to me in 87, so this is 88. And I already knew God said he had made, called me to be a prophet to the nations at 19 years old. And I said to him, I'm too young. Like, like Jeremiah, I'm a child. I can't do this. And the Lord said, you'll go to who I send you, and you'll speak what I say, and you're going to do what I tell you to do. Right? And I'm listening to this guy, and this old guy, he looks at us, and it was just prophetic because he looks at us and he said, You know, 
He said, I want to tell you. And he pointed at me specifically. He said, he said, the man that's faithful to preach the gospel from door to door will eventually preach it from shore to shore. Some folks want an international ministry, but they won't even go next door to their neighbors. You see, I preached a lot of times on the street to one person. Long before God ever put me in a pulpit. You've got to be faithful in little things before he's going to make you ruler over much. If you can't be faithful to go to you, preach the gospel to your neighbor or walk out on the street corner or talk to somebody about Jesus in the mall or at the shopping center or at Walmart. If you are not faithful to read your Bible and study, if you're not who you pretend to be in public, if you're not that in private, you aren't ready to do anything. And they just stop putting on this little facade. See, one of the reasons the church world has so many scandals and so much drama is not always because we just got wicked people. It's just people out, out ahead of them where they're supposed to be. I mean, you got to have some integrity. And integrity has to be proven and tested. I don't know who this is for, but I know it's for somebody this morning because I can feel it. And I want to say this very clearly. <laughs> Some goofball, another goofball Torah person commenting on something on YouTube. They don't know that I look. We, we find these videos and then we'll look through the comments and just they have no idea we're looking. I just look for fun sometimes. This person said, he didn't, you know, I'm, I'm glad he knows the truth about the earth, but he doesn't know what sin is. I'm like, oh, God, another Torah head. No, I know what sin is. Galatians 5, listen, let's put up Galatians 5 real quick. I'm, gonna go, I'm going somewhere with this. Galatians 5, 19. Let's deal with what the New Testament, the New Covenant says is sin. I know they want to live in the Old Testament, but we're going to stick in the New because this is the covenant we are in. The Old had its purpose we are in the new now. Go to verse 19, if you would. I've quoted this verse many, many, many times. Now, remember he said we'll have no confidence in the flesh. I'm, I want to get to this. Now the works of the flesh are manifest or revealed. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations. Emulations, it's talking about envy, strife, jealousies, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Envyings. You know what envying is? Let me tell you, this is it. let me just stop here. Because this is another little green monster that's in the church. You know, they talk about being green with envy. Here's what envy means. If you want, if you want the Webster's definition... I can give you the Webster's. Uh, it's called it a resentful awareness of another's advantage. We call that jealousy. Now, jealousy is having a suspicion because you have envy. Oh, you start being a detective and go, well, something's got to be wrong with them, and you start having suspicions. But envy is really the reason, is the, really the root, is when you start resenting somebody because they have something you don't have. It basically turns into covetous. You want what they have. Oh, 
You want to talk about where that's big time? In the church. Especially worship teams. Oh, oh, somebody's doing a special. It should have been me. The only problem is you can't sing. (laughs) But I digress. But he lists these out. Revelings, that's the drunkenness and murders and drunkenness. Reveling, that's wild partying. He goes through these. He said, and the such like of which I tell you before, and I've also told you in times past, that they which do prasso, practice habitually such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice he didn't have the Sabbath in here, or the Zitzitz, or the dietary laws. Okay? The Bible spells out what's sin. If you practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. We have a similar list. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, we're going somewhere with this because here, here what I'm saying. There are some of you that still have these things in your life. And you, you, you actually think, though, that you, you, it's like you're almost a schizophrenic person. You actually think, oh, God's going to use me and I'm going to do great things. But you can't even get out of fornication or adultery or whatever. And what I'm saying is... is <laughs> Let's snap out of the schizophrenic Christianity. Deal with this serious issues. I mean, there's Christians that are drinking and, and they, you know, getting drunk on a regular basis, but they want to be in the pulpit preaching. No. Do you not know the story of Adab and Abihu? They got drunk and decided they're going to go minister the way they wanted to. And the fire of God came out and killed them both. He says, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, coarse joking. You know, there's a lot of Christians that love to sit around and tell off color sexual innuendo jokes. And the Lord's saying, no, it's filth. Why are you not? He says, nor jesting which are not convenient, but rather the giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, just sexually immoral person, that's a, it's a habitual lifestyle, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or of God. Let's look at Revelation 21. Six through eight. See, the New Testament is clear. The New Testament, the gospel of grace, does not give you a license to live in sin. And what I'm getting at is if you do, you will never reach the high calling of God, the heavenly calling. This is why I'm going here with this. Because you can keep playing these religious games with yourself. You know, we got some people that like out there, I've, I've had to deal with it for years. Well, I know me and my, my girlfriend, we're not married, but we're married spiritually. Oh, really? 
So y'all end up having to to separate and separate the the property and what what what's going down there or the children or what you know what are we going to do then? And I say I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that we should as much as lieth in us as much as possible we should obey the laws of the land as much as possible unless they completely violate God's word. But he said here, let's read this. This is Jesus speaking. He said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. Now notice he didn't just say he shall inherit all things if you believe. He said he that overcometh. What do you have to overcome? Sin, habitual sin in your life. The temptation of the devil. The works of the devil, the works of the flesh. You've got to overcome these things, meaning they don't rule you. That sin shall not have dominion over you. If sin has dominion over you, you've got some work to do. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But, somebody say but. but. The fearful. Why does he start out with the fearful? The fearful are the ones who are fear man and won't do the will of God because they worry about what people will think. Some people don't do what God's called them to do because they fear other people. Never fear man over God. Never. That's why he says the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You want to tell me I don't know what sin is? Here it is. We got lists of them. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll read another list. Let's just have fun this morning. It's only five after. If I let y'all out now, they might still think you're Baptist. So we can't go right yet. Let's go down. I think it's the verse 9 or so. Let's see. There you go. Now here's Paul talking to the Corinthians. And what does he tell them? He says, to, and he's talking to Christians now. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. So first of all, he's saying, if you want to live an unrighteous life, don't deceive yourself into thinking you're going to heaven and everything's going to be all right. See, that's what once saved, always saved, no matter how you live. That doctrine, that's, that's what it does. It deceives you into thinking you're okay how you, in your sin, but you're not. And that's why he told them, don't be deceived, neither fornicators. Now, how do I know if I'm a fornicator? Well, if that's the way you're living your life. If you're in sexual sin outside of your spouse being married or premarital sex, if you're in premarital sex, habitually, you are a fornicator. How do we know somebody's a liar? If you're telling lies all the time, you're a liar. It's not hard. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. That's actually pedophiles because the word is... If you look this word up in the Greek, it talks about basically men and boys, all right, and being soft. And I'm going to tell you right now, men, if there's any men out there and you got effeminate uh, mannerisms and characteristics, it's time to cast that demon out and get free. 
Men are supposed to be men and women are women, all right? Ain't no man supposed to be swishing his butt like a woman. I'm going to tell you that right now. That's a demon. And isn't it interesting? They almost all, they almost all act, they have the same mannerisms. Once they get that spirit on them, they all have the same mannerisms, and it's easy to spot. My gaydar is good, man. <laughs> Nor abusers of themselves and mankind. This is, talks about the act of sodomy is what this is about, the act of actual sodomy. Okay? And then he says, nor thieves. That means, guess what a thief is? Take something that's not yours. There's a lot of Christian borrows out there. No, you're thieves. Because you take stuff, you don't give it back. That's a thief. Well, it was just a little bitty thing. Ah, don't be a thief. Nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers. If people cuss people out. Nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That means you don't go there. You inherit nothing. Zero, zip, nada. There's people out there trying to tell me, oh, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are two different things. No, they're the same. And if you get no inheritance in the kingdom of God, nothing, you're not there. You understand? And the Bible is clear. Those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not be with Jesus. So, if you want to make sure you fulfill the high calling of God, you have got to deal with this stuff. I know for a lot of people, mostly men, there are some women, but pornography is a stronghold, meaning it's habitually practiced. That's got to stop. You've got to overcome that in your life. You may need deliverance. You may need a season of fasting and prayer. You may need some help with it. But you've got to make up your mind, this is wickedness, this is evil, this is sin, this is going to stop me from fulfilling my destiny and the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's got to stop. And man, let me just go on and tell you right now, it literally cre creates what's called an erototoxin in your brain and rots your brains. Your grandma was right. It does brain damage to you and makes you physically addicted. Not just psychologically or spiritually, but you can be physically addicted to pornography because it stirs up chemicals mixture within your brain just like you're taking a dang drug. And it has to be broken. Now, Jesus will help you with that, but you gotta, you got to have a made-up mind. There's a lot of people who don't have a made-up mind, and it's not just about pornography. They don't have a made-up mind about alcohol. Some people think, well, Jesus, Jesus turned the water to wine, so I can just drink it up. No, no, no. But you sit there, I mean, literally, they're getting drunk on Friday and Saturday night, and they're in church on Sunday morning. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And I'm like, wow. The, the games we play in our own minds to justify. See, and it takes a preacher. See, y'all want to know why I'm preaching like this. Because they're literally people that have, they're, they're double-minded, right? So they have two minds. They think, well, I'm, I'm good with God. And then they got this world where they live in evil. And then they got preachers come along and just sue them and say, you, oh, God loves you just the way you are. 
Uh, yeah, just the way you are. No, he doesn't. He loves you, but he doesn't love you the way you are. He wants you to change. Hence the word repent. Right? If God, if God, if God wanted you to stay the way you were, what's the point of Jesus coming and dying on the cross? Why would he say, take up your cross and follow me? Why would he say, deny yourself? Why would he say, if you practice these things, if the works of the flesh, you will not, you will not be able. You will not be able not just to do his will, but you won't be able to enter the kingdom of God. See, I'm going to tell you, when you die, the moment you die, and this was interesting reading through this book, because I know so there's some, what, what do they call them? Near death, life after, you know, experiences, whatever they call them. Some of these are, there's, there's demonic deception within. Okay, so you can't just listen to any account somebody has because there's a whole lot of deception going on in that realm. But there's a lot of Christians. I, I remember a person I knew personally, and she was older than me, but got pneumonia and died in the, in the hospital room. They, they, they couldn't get the oxygen tanks to her. They were like tangled up in a closet. And she could see this. She, as she left her body, she said, I saw them wrestling in this closet trying to get the oxygen tanks out of there. And she said at the time she was 29 years old, with five children, young children, dying, and said she remembered floating up through the ceiling. She watched her, herself, her body laying there, and she remembered floating up through the ceiling. Some of them even described the firmament. I'll tell you that, too. They see the firmament, and then there's a, a passage opened through it, like a tunnel. And then all of a sudden, they're standing there, and she said she saw the Lord, standing kind of at a distance, she saw Jesus, and she saw some people she knew. And the Lord turned to her and said, you can't come here now. you got to go back. It's not time for you. But see, that was a powerful witness to her whole family, who were a bunch of hellions and needed that testimony, right? But see, this stuff, you know, the ones I was reading last night, it was just like, What you're going to be thinking there is, what did I do with my life? What did I do with my life that was really for the Lord Jesus and not for myself? What did I do that really helped people get saved? What did I do? Because what, we're going to look at everything else. One guy, was, one guy said he was struggling to find something in his life that was, and he thought about, the only thing good he said he could think about that was good in his life, he'd become an Eagle Scout. And then he said the moment he thought it, the Lord said, yeah, and that was for you too. That wasn't for me. See, when you stand before the Lord, is there going to be anything in your life to go, you know, I really lived for Jesus and not myself. I really was sacrificed my own life to do some things. I really stepped out of my comfort zone and took up the cross. See, I'm going to tell you even about this thing coming up on December. The old people are like, oh, I'm so excited. It's going to be awesome. The truth's going to go out. Oh, it's, all that's true. 
And I'm glad y'all are going to have fun. But the responsibility of it all is on me. And I can feel it. Because I take it seriously. Whenever God opens a door, I don't care if it's to go into a prison to talk to five people. God used to send me, he opened the door for me to go into death row in Tutwiler Prison years ago to speak to the ladies on death row. It was three of them. And I don't care. That's what I'm saying. I don't care if it's three ladies on, on death row or if it's a million people online. I want to know that I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do and tell you the truth. If I didn't know this was God, I wouldn't be doing it. You understand? Because y'all have no idea the warfare and the oppression and the attacks that are coming at me and my family that could be avoided if we just ran away to the Bahamas or something. <laughs> the mountains. My wife likes the mountains. I like the beach. So. But let's press toward the mark. No. No, no, no. As Pastor Joyce said, if you did it, you wouldn't be happy. No, because he truly, and, and here's the, you know, I'm glad you said it, because really here's the final thing I guess we need to know about this, that the joy of the Lord is really in doing his will, even if it is difficult. And only he, see, and I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is fleeting. But joy, where you just have a deep down peace. You have a deep down just, Lord, I know I'm with you and you're with me. And I know there is nothing better, I promise you this, than to know that you're doing the will of God. I mean, there's times I can say, Lord, I know I'm doing exactly what you have told me to do. And usually, too, in that time period, if you're doing exactly what God, you're going to catch all kinds of hell and flack from people, demons, principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this world. But it's worth it. See, the fruit, true fruit in the kingdom is produced when you do the will of God, not your own will. And sometimes you can't see how it's going to happen. You don't understand how it's going to happen. But the Lord blesses obedience. I remember the Lord told me, I'm going to share this last one with y'all. But this is a, an important thing. The Lord told me, you know, we'd been going out on the street witnessing regular during this time, but here in Opelika, this was a different time. And, you know, it was a struggle, and there was warfare, and it was difficult. And I remember the Lord had told me to stand up in this Methodist church down the road and give them a word of prophecy. Oh, I didn't want to do that. Because <laughs> I knew that they didn't want me to do that. And, you know, I, had, I did have friends in the church and friends' families in the church, and I knew it was just going to cause a big ruckus. But the Lord had given me a, a very simple word to stand up on Sunday morning after the pastor of death finished his sermon. <laughs> we called him Dr. Death. That was my name for him. Because I had never seen so much death come from a minister. I mean, there's no life, no, no Holy Spirit there. I mean, he got excited about Earth Day. That's what fired him up. Yeah, I, I kid you not. 
And I remember the Lord said, I want you to stand up on Sunday morning and tell them there is adulterers in this church. There's homosexuals in this church. There are pedophiles in this church. There are drunkards in this church. And the Lord says to you to repent. That means to stop the sin. Now, here's what's interesting. When I stood up to give that word, one of the pedophiles was standing right in front of me. He was found out. It all came out about him years later. Simple word, right? It's a little more to it, but that's the gist of it. Oh, did it cause a ruckus? <laughs> but I had disobeyed the Lord for about three weeks on it. I had just kept putting it off. And let me tell you what happened to me in those three weeks. Can somebody say this? The rebellious, the rebellious dwell in a dry land. I think that's Psalm 68 or 66. I can't remember. I just remember the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Woo! Spiritual life in me dried up. Couldn't pray, couldn't read the Bible. It just like, I mean, it was like, it was like the Lord said, I'm stepping away from you. Woo! You don't want that. And I remember, I finally, I would go out to pray, and he'd be like, why are you talking to me? I done told you to do something, and you're not doing it. Remember he told Joshua that. What, what are y'all praying about? You're supposed to be doing something else, but you, now you hear whining and crying to me. You should be doing what I told you to do. And that's exactly what I got when I went to prayer. I was like, you know what you're supposed to do. I was like, oh, gosh. So I obeyed. Now you got to remember, I was a young man. I'm 20, 21, 22, and I obey the Lord. Man, let me tell you when I obeyed the Lord. I walked out of that church and the glory of God and the peace of God and the joy of God came up, even though I knew they were hating my guts, half of them in there, right? And the joy of the Lord just came all over me. And we went out witnessing like a couple of days later and nine people got saved. The power of God fell at Village Mall in Auburn and we led nine people to Jesus. They were in tears like we were at an altar call service in the mall, in the middle of the mall. And the Lord told me, he said, I poured out my spirit upon you because you obeyed me. You want to know why the anointing is not there? It's because are you doing his will? Are you obeying his voice? Are you in his will? That's where the anointing is. He does not anoint you doing your own thing. Even if it's, it's a ministry thing. Y'all hear me? All right, now we can stop. It's been long enough. Let's stand. That's right. I saved y'all. Getting falsely accused. I can't stress it enough. You say, well, Pastor Dean, how do, I, how do I do this? Let me tell you, it's simple. Get your Bible out. Find you a place where you can go be in private, where you can pray often and start seeking God. What is in my life I need to get out? What sins in my life I need to deal with and get out of my life? What do I need to repent of? What do I need to change? And then, Lord, I want you to fill me with the knowledge of your will. I want to know your will. And if you don't hear it immediately, guess what? That means he wants you to keep seeking and asking 
until he gets ready to speak. You don't determine the time frame in which he's going to speak and tell you or show you. You don't get to dictate any of that. Certain things may not happen for years. God may not tell you for months. You might be praying and fasting for months before you hear even a peep. And you know what? That's okay. Because if you're studying his word, you're studying this Bible and you're seeking him, you are actually doing what you need to be doing to prepare your heart, your spirit, your soul, your mind to be ready for it. See, the reason I can get up here and preach for an hour and a half, two hours easy and share the word and share testimonies is because it's not just because I, I studied a passage and I got up and preached it. It's because I've lived it. It's because I've put it into practice for years and years and years. Most of the scriptures that I have memorized, I didn't sit down and go, I'm memorizing the scriptures because I have preached and taught and spoken them so many times to people that I, now I know them. It's not about somebody just sitting down. I'm going to sit down and try to memorize them. How about just sharing it with people? You share it with your neighbor, and then you share it with people at the mall, and you share it with people at Walmart. Guess what? Eventually, you're going to remember that verse because you're using it. Anybody will tell you about a foreign language. You have to use it. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. Let's pray over this. Um, did you tell him a song, that song? Which one is it? Oh, yeah. All right. We're going to do. Do they have the words? Okay. Well, let's pray. We're going to do this song before we leave here. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you today, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. I know this was for somebody. And Lord, I pray that you help all of us learn to be patient in everything, Lord. In every situation, let patience come first and let us hear and perceive and discern your direction and your timing. And let us all, Lord, begin to hear your voice and understand your will and your plan for our individual lives. They're not all the same. You have a different plan and purpose for each person. And Lord, we know when, do, when we are doing your will and we're in your perfect will, that there is joy and there is peace and there is safety. And Lord, I just pray that, God, your people will stop doing things their own way. They'll stop being double-minded, schizophrenic. They'll get the sin out, get the self-will, the self plans out and find your will for their lives and the destiny and the calling that you have and begin to do it even if they've messed up for a long time that they will go all in for you and then you will take up take up their life and you'll do your will in their life and we thank you for it and we pray this in jesus name let's do this song right here Thank you, Lord, that you have made the way through your precious blood shed on the cross, your resurrection from the dead, Lord. And Lord, you said that if we would believe that in the heart, our hearts, and confess it with our mouths, if we would repent of our sin and make you Lord of our lives, if we would follow you, Lord, we would find eternal life. And we would find the joy and the peace, the presence of Almighty God, the God who created us. 
Lord, we are grateful for that. We thank you that we can find you and know you and walk with you, Jesus. I pray that for everyone listening today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Well, all right. I guess that's it. Is there any announcements I need to? Not for them? All right. Bye, y'all. Oh, no service next week. Here. It's all right. It's all right. They heard me. Just letting you know, no service here next week. So if anybody decides to visit, you will come to a locked door and nobody here. Most, all of us will be in Tennessee. We're, we're staying uh, because it's going to be late Saturday night before we get done. They're not driving back five, six hours and try to have church. So, um, but we will, um, what we will be doing Sunday morning is to be determined. Let's just put it that way. Um, just depends on how things go. <laughs> so anyway, no service here. If you can be in Mount Juliet, Tennessee at Global Vision Bible Church, um, December 2nd at 6 o'clock, we'd love for you to be there. Please come. Uh, it's gonna be, it is going to be a great evening. So uh, bring people, bring them from all over the place, all across the flat plain. Meet and greets. That's right. Um, you don't have those. There's one Friday at 6 p.m. That's going to be... Um, at the Hilton Garden Inn, okay, yeah, that's yeah, that's right, because that's the first one. That's that's the one Tim's doing, and that's when we'll have tables set up and everything. Um, and most of the media people are going to be there um, on that one. And then uh, Dave Weiss is having one. Uh, I know it's Saturday from twelve. I think it's twelve thirty or twelve to four thirty, and I don't know where, but it's online. You can go to his web's uh, YouTube channel, Deep Inside the Rabbit Hole, and yeah, the initials of that. And um, and I think I think we've posted it too. And I will we'll post stuff and make sure. But um, I'm not sure about making it to that on that because Saturday I'm going to try to chill and just stay in our Airbnb until it's time to go to the church. Um, but we'll see. But Friday night for sure we'll be there. We're leaving Friday morning. So uh, anyway, just wanted to let everybody know, don't travel, say, from Pennsylvania or something to visit, and we're not here, okay? All right. God bless you. Love y'all. What's that? Hug some necks before you leave.